Hello, my friends. Welcome back to the Naked Leadership Podcast. This is Chad. This week, we have a special little treat for you. We are actually republishing an episode from the Relentless Growth Podcast, where Adrian Kaler, our very own Adrian, was a guest on Chris Goodman's podcast. Chris is a brilliant and thoughtful coach. He had Adrian on his podcast, and actually, we're sharing this recording of Chris's podcast in preparation for having Chris on our podcast in the upcoming weeks. So I wanted to share this conversation with you. I thought it was really powerful uh, and insightful and gives you a little window into Adrian's life uh, more than sometimes you get on our podcast as he's interviewed by Chris. I hope you enjoy. Here we go. Welcome to the Relentless Growth Podcast, where business owners and personal growth junkies find powerful conversations, great questions, and coaching that will change your life. My name is Chris Goodman, and as a life and business coach with more than 15,000 hours of experience coaching and training business owners, I've learned a thing or two about growth. This podcast will open you up to new ideas and actions to help you live a happier life build a greater business, truly become your best, and lead others in their pursuit of relentless growth. Let's get started. Hello, everybody. Happy New Year. I am your host, Chris Goodman. And of course, this is the Relentless Growth Podcast, where we'll be talking about life-changing personal growth for business owners. And it's a beginning of a brand new year. Lots to consider as far as who you want to be, what kind of big goals you want to tackle, what kind of impact you want to make, what kind of legacy you want to leave. And this new season of guests is going to help us accomplish that with and through you. Also, you'll notice we started a brand new season. We are now right into season two of the podcast. This is a lot of fun because I, I waited to transition out of the, you can't see me, but I'm using air quotes, out of the first season until it was time that I felt like we're actually transforming and moving into a new season of the podcast. Now is the perfect time for that because uh, personally, you know, we have our baby daughter due in a couple of months, right in the middle of March. And then professionally, things are moving in the right direction and they're moving fast. We've taken on more clients than ever in breakthrough coaching. We have, we, we have exponential results in the group coaching program. My one-on-one client roster is currently full, and we're taking uh, applications for waitlist clients. And my team and I more than doubled. We actually did about 2.5x our business over the last year, so we have plans to double the business again in 2022. So I say all that, obviously not to brag. If you know me or listen to the show, you know I'm not bragging when I say that, more celebrating it. And... Also showing you that, you know, I'm putting myself in the same position that I ask my clients to get into, which is to get uncomfortable, go after big results, assemble the dream team to it, to tackle it, and go out there and keep learning and growing and moving forward, even when it's messy, even when you're not making the type of progress that you really wish you could. So today's guest is going to help us talk about the leadership aspect of that and navigate through some of what he's learned over decades of experience. So I wanted to introduce him properly. 
And I'll tell you, this was one of my favorite episodes to record because Adrian has so much to offer and you'll hear very quickly how passionate he is about growth and leadership. So today's guest is Adrian Kaler. And Adrian is a leadership engagement expert and the senior partner at the executive coaching firm Take New Ground. He's actually the founder of that company as well. And he coaches executives and entrepreneurs in the art and science of leadership for themselves, their teams, and clients to create new unprecedented results and experiences to actually create ultimate fulfillment. You'll hear us talk about that. And not just fulfillment. I mean, we get into we get into a lot in a short amount of time. This was so much fun to record. I'm going to rattle off a couple of the key concepts that that I know we covered and that I enjoyed talking with Adrian about. Radical self-responsibility. What makes a great leader? Getting in the trenches with your team. Having the courage to go where no one else is willing to go. How he operates as a, quote, founder, whisperer. And you might have heard me reference other coaches as CEO whisperers. Adrian is one of the best in the world at this. And you'll be able to hear why and more about his process as well, including what it means to him to be a redemptive force for good in life and in business. Adrian is the founder and senior partner at Take New Ground. As I mentioned, it's a leadership coaching, training, and consulting firm based in LA. They partner with select executives and organizations to get the results they want by creating the culture they need. He's the co-host of another podcast that I I think is going to be in the show notes to this, so you guys ought to be able to just scroll down and click the link, called the Naked Leadership Podcast, all about being vulnerable in business, saying the things you need to say, and getting the results you need to get out of your team as well. You'll hear in this episode how Adrian draws on his background in philanthropy, ministry, activism, and even medicine how he thrives. And this part was fun because I, I said, you don't seem combative or, or confrontational, but you also don't seem conflict averse. <laughs> but you'll hear how he thrives in the extreme environments around the world and finds comfort in those difficult conversations or scenarios. In fact, his passion for human performance has taken him around the world serving people in times of crisis, transformation, even stalemates, And over the last decade, Adrian has trained and developed leaders at Nike, Virgin Hyperloop, Jenny's Ice Cream, Herschel Supply Company, Oprah Winfrey Network, Gavin, easy for me to say, Gavin DeBecker and Associates, UCLA, I could go on. You get the point. Adrian is someone who walks the walk and talks the talk with some of the best in the world. So I'm so excited to have him on the show. Um, a little more background before we get into this. Prior to his work as an executive coach, Adrian was the founding executive director of the Cornerstone Project, a grant-giving foundation that supports positive life transformation and spiritual reconciliation for the incarcerated. You'll hear about his experiences uh, in that world. And before moving to LA in 2005, Adrian worked as a pediatric intensive care specialist at Children's Memorial Hospital in Chicago. He's also served as a pastor and community organizer at Mosaic Los Angeles and founded Serve LA, Mosaic's community dedicated to holistic development for the marginalized and vulnerable in Los Angeles. He received a Bachelor of Science in Nursing while playing football at Millican University and resides in the heart of Hollywood, L.A. with his two children, Scout and Charlie, and his fiance Allie Webb. Some of you will recognize Allie's name because she is the founder of Dry Bar. So when I say Adrian is one of the best, 
I mean, he is in some of the most elite circles of business, leadership, team building, founding companies, scaling companies in the entire world. So I hope you'll sit down with a notepad and get ready to take some excellent notes and one-liners from Adrian Kaler. As always, do us a favor. If something hits you in the heart or in the head, hopefully you know I mean that figuratively, (laughs) and you take something meaningful or powerful from this episode, share it on social media and tag our guest, Adrian Kohler. We love it when you do this because it, it gives our guests so much wind in their sails to see that their words are meaningful and impactful to people around the world. So thank you for listening. Enjoy the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Relentless Growth. And today, I have a very special guest. Thank you to Adrian Kaler for spending some time with us. He has more on his plate than most coaches I know. So Adrian, thank you for taking the time to help our our audience learn and grow and experience your level of leadership coaching. Yeah, man. Really honored to be here, Chris. Thanks for having me. I even just love the the title of the podcast, Relentless Growth. I'm in. Yeah, right. It's it's funny. Most of the people we work with seem to be excited and tormented by a challenge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there, there used to have in my byline and Instagram, I don't know what it is now, but it used to be, you know, coach for the restless and relentless. Oh, that's perfect, isn't it? Yeah. Everybody I work with, you know, definitely connects with those two ideas that they're not going to stop and they're easily bothered. And most people think that's a problem, but, you know, certain types of human beings that tend to be, they end up being leaders because they're just bothered. They're bothered by what's possible. They're bothered by what's not quite what it should be. They're bothered by themselves. They're, they notice almost everything. And, you know, it's kind of like they can see more than most people. And that's, you know, it's, it sets up a certain type of internal lifestyle. And I'll make that distinct from external lifestyle, but internal lifestyle, it's just like, wow, they're just, they're just, you know, it comes off like frustration, but it's really this kind of botheredness about what's possible and what's not quite right. I I relate to that. I I remember learning DISC when I was going through a DISC certification. And for everybody who doesn't know what I'm talking about, DISC is a behavioral assessment that most people confuse with a a personality assessment. It's just a tool to learn what some of your motivators are and some of your key behaviors are. Uh And the instructor was talking about driven personalities and behaviors. And she was like, raise your hand if you ever just wake up pissed off and don't know why. (laughs) (laughs) And about, you know, two thirds of the room of CEOs and small business owners are like, oh, yeah, that's me. It's just how I am. It's just internally who I am. (laughs) So I'm curious, what what bothered you enough to get into coaching? That's a good question. Well, I mean, I think probably coaching was the... I've been been in this type of coaching for about a dozen years. It was really a growth out of everything else I'd been trying to do or I had been doing to make the world a better place, make a difference, those types of things. I'd been driven to make life matter for a long time. I can't remember not wanting that to happen. And, you know, I'd been through a, a, a lots of iterations vocationally about really finding the space in which to fully express myself and fully be myself. I, I'll... um give the long story very short. I was in you know college and was going to be a doctor and but didn't really want to do that, but that was kind of the default setting and the expectation at some level in my family and thought, I don't really want to do all this schooling and and by the way, I'm just I'm not that much of a data guy. Uh, you know I, I dig it and I think it's interesting and I love all the science, but like 
operating by essentially the equivalence of spreadsheets. That's just not me. I'm, I'm a, in the trenches, eye to eye, shoulder to shoulder with people. I get motivated like that. So halfway through college, I actually shifted and got a nursing degree and which was out of nowhere for me, but it seemed to be like, okay, what's the fastest way to get in the trenches with people and, and help influence people's lives in that way? And, uh, you know, I never wanted to be a nurse, but I thought oh, I could travel the world. I could go do whatever. I could set up clinics. I could very altruistic uh, as a young man, that type of travel and, and, you know, seemed interesting to me. And I came out and I worked in the intensive care world, mostly with pediatrics. So helping kids that were on the brink and with that, as you can imagine, you're really in a family system. So you're helping a family system that's on the brink. And, and I, early on, we could do all the science part uh, pretty easily, but really had a deep fascination with the human side of things. How do you get people to connect during chaos? How do you get people to slow themselves down and ask for what they want? How do you get people to, you know, see the challenge as an opportunity and then just get to be the motivational catalyst in the middle of all that? And that was really interesting to me. The, the context wasn't that interesting, like working in a hospital or even like the leadership ladder was no interest to me at all because I'm not that administrative. I don't want to go run holiday parties and and set up policies and procedures. I'm not that guy. So out of that, I come from a, a, a grew up in a very strong faith background and saw community activism as a part of a way to change the world. And I got connected to a church actually out here in Los Angeles that was very activistic and very controversial, which I liked. My job with them after I came in and got to know them and they got to know me was to mobilize leaders. So we would, you know, about a 3,000 person church and about 2,000 of those a year would go out and do some kind of service to the community, some of which became uh, very deep dives for people. But everybody got out and had some kind of life altering experience via service. And I really dug that. And my job was to create the network of nonprofits and, and, and the civic organizations too, the county and the city and all the, you know, formal bureaucracies, but generate a network. And then I could, you know, build a, build several dozens of teams to go out and make a difference. And I really love that. And, and mobilizing people into the world whenever disasters would happen, like when Katrina happened, I was on a team that went, was on the ground within, within days. And when Haiti happened, I pulled together a team of doctors and nurses and we were there doing clinics in the in the uh, sports complex there within days of the earthquake or when Pakistan was underwater, a doctor and I went and uh, set up health clinics to help people that had been moved by the flooding or, you know, many, many, you know, trips to Africa and such like you might imagine, just service projects. And I, I loved all that, mostly because I knew a handful of things. I knew for me, I came alive in the midst of mobilizing people towards a, a worthy goal. I knew that, you know, helping the world get better. I mean, I kind of, I guess I come from an ethic where, you know, the world is, is, is broken and people are broken, not like in a bad way. It's just how we wake up in the world. And my aim is to help put the thing back together. And that's an alt, that's a, maybe a higher power conversation or something like that, but being a redemptive force or helping people redeem themselves even probably has always been what's gotten me out of the bed in the morning. And I, I dug all that. And out of that, I loved it. Met a guy that wanted to set up a foundation, wanted to give a lot of money away. And because I was the best networked guy he knew, and I just happened to know him, was a friend and mentor to him, he asked me to set up his foundation for him. And I, so I took him around the world, exposed him to all the needs, which I was very well connected to, and all the people that were influencing the needs. I was connected to that network. Long story, very short, he ended up caring about the farthest and hardest, meaning like for guys that had really blown it and needed a second chance. And so we ended up working in the, in the um, 
prison system here in California where I live and simultaneously met a guy that had been doing management consulting work for, for dozens, I mean, for, I guess, decades. He came out of the human potential movement. Think, you know, life spring, think all these kind of, you know, back to Warner Earhart and even, you know, the Tony Robbins world. It all comes from this human potential movement back in the, in the uh, 70s. This guy, his name's Dan. He's now my business partner, but I, I met him and hired him because he'd been doing work with gang intervention. And I thought, now that's cool. Wow. So to getting now a long answer to your question, um, why coaching? Really, the question for me was, are there places I can go that no one else can or is willing to go? Uh, a mentor back in, back in that day at Mosaic, the guy that leads this community called Mosaic, he kind of planted that in me saying, hey, can, where can you go that no one else is willing to go? And so through the, through the work in the prison, so just picture we've got a room full of 30 lifers and all of them had done something really heinous at some point. Many of them had done it, you know, 10 years, 20 years before. And people had stopped believing them and even, you know, they're just lifers, right? So they're just going to spend their life in jail for the most part. Some had the possibility of parole. And can you believe in these guys? These guys were the, you know, the grandfathers of the prison. So if you want to see systemic change inside, just change the change makers. And, you know, there's lots of natural mentoring that happens in the prison system. So we knew that if we made a difference with these guys, it would trickle all the way through. And it did. So we ran 30 people through this three-day leadership training, which is essentially a the, – the crux of the training is this exercise we call victim responsible, which is where people take a look at where, the, where they are and practice looking at it from a victim standpoint, which most human beings do, like they think that – that the life happens to them and they've got big, long, we all do big, long, very elaborate, very savory stories about why it's so, um, and pretty stuck stories. And, and there out of that perspective comes the despair, not what happened, but our perspective on what happened and the powerlessness that we're sure was present is why we live in despair. So, but then we flip it into a responsible conversation. Like if you chose to be in prison, if you chose to shoot that guy, if you chose to make those decisions instead of you had to do it, just try that perspective on. And all of a sudden, these guys who had been telling a story for 25 years felt free. Wow, really? And got responsible and gave up the victim story. And all of a sudden, we're able then now to think about something new. Because if I'm powerless, if, if where I am, if I didn't choose where I am, then I definitely can't choose where I want to go. And this is to, to move it into present day, you know, working with the type of people we work with. And we can get into that work to those details if you want to. But same, same with anybody. If I feel like I'm, I'm here just because or if I feel like I'm here due to momentum instead of choice, then I'm, then I'm, I'm going to look out to the future in a very specific with a very specific perspective, which is kind of looking for trouble and trying to sustain myself, more of the survivalist mindset, which is fine. You know, like people die that way every day, thinking that way, that like I'm like the best I can do is look good and feel good and be right and be in control. We call those the survival needs. And then every, every possibility looks like a threat. Other people, like what we notice about other people are as if they're with me or not with me. We're, you know, planning against the worst case scenario all the time. And there's really not a lot of room for possibility in that conversation. So if you can get yourself into an ownership seat, you know, when people tell me their sob stories now, I just said, oh, that's perfect. And they say, what? 
Oh, I say like, what's going on? And they, you know, they've been, they're, they've been trying to, they've been telling me the same story they tell everybody else. And I just think it's perfect. And they, you know, sometimes laugh about it like that. Uh, but I just say it's perfect. Meaning like you've got exactly like the, the system always produces exactly what the system was designed to produce. So, and I always say like, whatever you don't want in your life, if you really don't want something, you get rid of it. You know, I only work, I work with, you know, top moving leaders. So this is true for them and they know it. If they really don't want something, they've got the power and the authority to move it. So if they don't want something and it's been around for, I don't know, longer than a week, I wonder why you like what you say you don't want. That's usually a very perplexing question, but worth a lot of exploration. Like, I wonder why you actually like what you say you don't want. And then we take a look at, at their challenges from a very different perspective. Now, and if that nut cracks open, then a whole new world is possible. So that, I guess that type of, that type of inquiry where a, maybe even like a revelation can happen, that's not like a commonly used word, but I'm, I don't aim for, I mean, I love being encouraging to people. I love it. I love believing in people, really love it, love championing people really good at that. I even love inspiration, like motivation, all those types of things. I love insight. Like what's a really great idea? You know, I listen for insight all the time, listen to lots of great authors and speakers to find insight. Like, wow, wow. I'd never thought about that before. Those things that just have a very short uh, shelf life. Revelation though, when I talk about revelation, it's like this holy shit. Maybe it's not at all what I thought it is. Maybe the future can be 100% different from my present. Maybe I can change. And there's like this, there's possibility that comes through. And something new, some new unprecedented, we use that word a lot in our work, unprecedented, never seen it before, future. Instead of incremental growth, which most people are really excited about, but maybe something unprecedented could happen. But that type, I would just say, so the, the crux of this for this work is like that type of life change, those types of moments, because it's not like sometimes a season can create a transformation for you. And sometimes a moment can create a transformation for you. I know that's true for me. And I know that's true for my clients. Like something happens, one shift, one moment of openness can crack open the rest of your life. And out of that comes joy. It comes vitality, comes energy comes generosity, all these aspects that are actually the type of human being we want to be. We're just scared to death to aim at it. So coaching provides that context between me and my clients, the level of trust and the level of candor and the level of meaning um, that we get into these really deep dive, the deep end, I guess, of, of life. Why coaching for me is I've just always been this guy. I'm an intense guy. I care deeply. I'm easily bothered. I love people deeply. I want the world to move forward. I want people to move forward. I just get cringy around people that are stuck and, and that stuff bothers me. And I just, I, I'm an intense guy. And for a lot of environments that doesn't work, this environment's perfect for me and perfect for the type of clients that I want to work with. Some people are looking for, Hey, give me the five-step plan so I can just go do that. And I'm like, well, the fact that you're not a guy that you've been telling yourself you want a five-step plan for five years, let's talk about that. Mm -hmm. And I want to get uh, uproot the soil and take a look. And some people, that's too much, which I totally get it. They just don't like me. 
which is great. <laughs> which, yeah, it makes your life easy because you're like, no okay, problem. we're work together, right? <laughs> no problem. No problem. Yeah, I'm, I'm not here to re-ice this shit sandwich. All right. So I have, I have a lot of questions that I could ask, and I'm searching for the one that really will make the most impact because of our limited time. Yeah. There's two things that you said that I really appreciate. Be a redemptive force. Yeah. And this environment is perfect for me because it didn't, you didn't figure that environment out at first. No. You, you said several iterations. And so now you're coaching leaders, founders, CEOs. What is, is there a, a financial tier in terms of revenue that's the low end and a high end for you guys? Or, or is there a scope of, of how you select the companies you consult and work and coach with? Or uh, the only reason I ask is because it affects the next question. Historically, no. We haven't had like a, okay, you have to hit this certain criteria for us to work with you. I, I'm always looking for this kind of what I'll just sometimes call the X factor, which is like really ignitable people. Like I'll only, I, yeah. I mean, if for somebody that hits criteria, but they don't have the right attitude, you know, take a walk. I'm not interested. So it's an internal criteria. Now it's good for the types of fees we charge. You really got to, I mean, when I started, I coached anybody with a little bit of money and a heartbeat. But as you move along and you want to pull certain, um, you want to scale yourself and you want to build a team out, you know, there's certain sizes of companies that we like to work with and, and people that really, they really got to get the fact that investing in themselves is their best investment they can ever make. So, and if they do that and if they see the results in the conversation, they'll, they'll, they'll invest, you know, heavily in it. So the answer is really no, but the, the, but the yes to it is really an internal condition and their own vision for why they're doing this. What, that's perfect because the interviews I've listened to you on, that came through that you're very clear on who you want to work with. It's a, and I know him when I see him kind of thing though. Yep. So that's why I have this question because you were talking uh, in, in one conversation about your, I don't want to say confrontational, but you're definitely not conflict averse. Right. Um, <laughs> and, and you said, I will either follow a great leader or commandeer the ship. <laughs> yes. So, yes. so how do you know when a leader is great? Hmm. That's a fun question. How do I know when a leader is great? Well, it depends on the aim. It depends on the aim. So I'll give maybe a, a generalized answer to that. Well, wait, you said you went to med school or were thinking about it, not law school, yeah. where every answer is it depends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. What makes a great leader? Well, look around, you know, watch what they produce. So, I mean, great's a very subjective word. That's why I'm pausing. I, an effective leader would be someone that delivers on their promises. So, but what are their promises? Well, most leaders under promise. In my perspective, they might say a whole bunch um, but they don't actually make it like a promise. Like they might have vision boards and they might have vision statements and, you know, company retreats where they talk about all the possibilities, but those aren't promises. Promises is, is we will, I will count on me for this and get very specific about it. And anytime anything is all out of alignment with the committed vision of the company or committed vision of the office as leader, they're going to sniff it out right away and get to the conversation early and are really humble and willing to realign themselves on a regular basis. So hyper. So another way to answer it is like a hyper committed to outcomes. That is a component of being a great leader is you're actually going to get something done. A, another part of that is like gets the fact that human beings are motivated by their own personal interests. 
like we do a lot of work with companies and leadership teams around personal interests and corporate interests and where those align and where they're not aligned because most of the conflict that happens in the boardroom or in the senior leadership team is because they're not having enough conversations about the about the people and their interests like why are they here you know it's always a volunteer army i mean you might somebody might have worked at the company for 20 years but they've not actually been fully invested for the last 10 because it's even if you pay them it's still a volunteer army like you know them showing up and giving them full selves that's always a choice like on a daily basis and most of us you know cuz partially cuz we're humans you know don't give 100% every day and and a great leader a great leader is going to at least open up that context where hey 100% of you is actually what I'm paying you for your full presence and and cuz I'm I'm committed to getting 100 to getting all the value from our investment in you and your participation is the only way to generate that value. So a great leader is going to really have an eye on uh, team engagement and be willing to go have all the, con- I mean, you're right. We're not, we're not uh, conflict diverse in our company. You know, we say, Hey, we're not here to have a safe conversation. We're ha- we're here to have the really dangerous conversation. And that's usually what's needed. It's not what they want. What they want is give me a new strategy, please. Or, Let's get a new plan together. Yeah, placate me as the leader and let somebody else take over so I can. <laughs> That's yeah. right. That's right. Please, yeah, please give me a, a mechanism that will solve for our problem and results. And the mechanism is never the source. Um, and not that the mechanism isn't a good mechanism, like a strategy and a plan isn't needed. Of course it's needed, but it's just, that's the symptom. So a bad, a bad mechanism is the symptom of poor thinking or usually from poor relationships that generate the type of thinking and conversation at the table. So we go to the heart of the matter, which is the, you know, we always say that all results come out of the context of the relationship that hold them. So great leaders are going to be very relationship driven. And I don't mean, you know, team parties and high fives and, and all that kind of shit, which might be helpful and great, but it's really, are we really being honest? You know, is, is there anything off limits in this culture that we can't talk about? Are there any judgments at the table that we're going to keep tolerating? Are there any underperformers that we're just, we've given up on, but are just going to pay them because they're not worth the headache? All that shit erodes culture. So I keep giving you components of great leadership or potential symptoms of great leadership, I guess. Like if you watch leadership in action, some of these things would be happening. That all these are like components of great leadership in action. Because like, like, what is a great leader? Well, depends on what day as well. Because, you know, I mean, I, I think in general, let me get a little bit philosophical. You know, the, the, ask, the idea that anybody is always anything is our first, you know, line of bullshit we buy. Because we're all dynamic people. Like I could be a really great leader yesterday at noon in that meeting. And I could be avoiding everything by 3 p.m. I love that. Right. So So that's, and that's humans, man. Like we've got, we've got, we could be committed to courage, which most people aren't, but you could be committed to living courageously. And at some moments you actually live out of that commitment. And some moments that's actually just a story. I wish I was, you know, and no problem. I don't think that's a problem. I think great leaders really own their own inauthenticity when they, when it shows up, because we're all inauthentic and we're all fraudulent. And that's necessary. I mean, okay, what makes that necessary? Most people might shudder with me saying that and they might say, oh, I'm not. 
that's okay. But if, if your answer, listener, hello, friend, if I said that, that we're all fraudulent, including you, dear listener, and you got, you had a strong reaction to it, I would, you know, invite you to just take a look and see, is there any place in life where I've not done what I said I would do? And why is that? What is it about that, that I'm avoiding that or tolerating that? And you've got a story about why you think it should be or why you want it to be somewhere else, but where you want it to be and where it is, there's a gap. And I'm just saying that's an authenticity, like no big deal. Like every leader I work with is really insecure, including the guy on the microphone right now. Of course, I'm insecure all the time. You know, I'm nervous jumping onto this podcast. Am I going to say anything that's worth anything for Chris and the relentless growth audience? I want it to happen. And am I going to, how am I going to show up? You know, so anyway, we're all insecure. We all tend to cover our ass because we'd rather look good in our own eyes than be in a real conversation. And that's just where we're all, you know, I say we're all fraudulent and no big deal. Um, and we all, we're all feel like imposters. No big deal. People act like the imposter syndrome is a problem. It's not. It's called being a human. Am I willing to take it on and really own the things I'd rather avoid? I think you're really in a good vein there because so many, I'm going to direct our conversation toward the C-suite and the owner suite because it's a different level of responsibility and it's a different, how did you phrase this? You didn't say shadow, but it's like an image that precedes them because of their title. Yeah. And and because of that, they start to buy into these lies that they have to be tougher than the average Joe. They have to right. be more put together. They have to be more measured. They have to be all of everything all the time. Right. And so they get exhausted keeping up with that image instead of allowing an inch of vulnerability into their day. And so I'm curious in your experience, what what that transformation looks like, taking somebody from that very image egoic conscious self to a more humble, vulnerable human as a CEO. What's that journey? Yeah, I guess. um, How are you, how are you, how are you helping them evolve into someone who's willing to show up and say, you know what? I don't have it all together all the time. However, I'm the one who calls the shots and here's what we're going to do. Yeah. Well, how do I do that? Let's see. I always start by talking about results. And, and results happen, results, you know, it's, we're all time traveling at any moment in time. But the, when I talk about results, first time I want to talk about what results they're committed to. All of our work, I think every, every coach out there, I think that's effective is always talking about the future and what results, you know, and, and you could talk about the future. Everything's got layers to it. And for me, it's like uh, there, there are pieces that you must framework that must be discussed before you get to some direct answers. Everybody's got a vision of the future every single moment in time. We can't not have that. Some of it's despairing. Some of it's like really possible. Some of it's like we're really committed to whatever. We all got some kind of view of the future. So if, I, if I'm talking to somebody about what they really want, which is where any kind of engagement I have with anybody is the future that they're committed to having. Like what is the vision, i.e. the future worth having? And in that is going to show up all their junk, all of their concerns, all of their fears, all of their complaints, their judgments, their insecurities. When I start talking about the future, that's coming to the table because all of that internal unspoken, unspoken or at least underrepresented at least conversation is what's internally between them and what they think is possible because they'll tell me what they think is possible and I'll challenge it and see if we can double it. 
and therein, and that's when all of their resistance, you can call it resistance if you want, all the resistance comes up and all their stories about other people and, and the team and the market and themselves or their wife or husband or whatever, all that stuff's going to come to the surface. And they don't want to talk about that. They want to talk about the plan. And I want to talk about where they're coming from and what they actually believe. Because, you know, it's like for them, I'm always saying, hey, results come out of results we have or don't have come out of actions that we take or don't take. And all the actions we take or don't take come from choices we make or don't make. And all the choices we make or don't make come from the the, the thinking that's there before the, the choice we make. And all the thinking, all of it comes from some kind of belief system. And so I say it's like that. So everything, everything that happens in life comes out of our perception. So back to your question of getting somebody to move from this kind of oh, image-based, egoic, as you described it, framework, they're dying to get over it. Like, you know, the egoic thing is just a survival mechanism. It's, we all know that. I mean, that like, you know, the time that I'm fighting with my fiance, for example, when I'm fighting with her, fighting my stupid point, it's really not what I want. What I want is love and connection. I'm just dying on this hill because I'm scared to death. And same, like, it's like there, you know, if I got somebody I'm working with and it's really not working, what I really want to do is, and business people don't use the word love that often, but I, you know, it's always what's dying to be said. It's like, do you love this guy? Do you want the best for him? Do you want the best for his family? Well, yeah. Well, then avoiding the conversation about what's not working is in misalignment with what you say your vision is, man. I know you're scared to death. I know you don't want to have it. And you're going to tell me you don't know how to have it. I think that's bullshit. And it might be truth that you, you know, you're not very well practiced in having hard conversations. We can do that. But it's a willingness to go be real that I think at, every, at the soul level of every human being, that's what we're dying for is can we go be real? Can we go like really fully express ourselves? And we want to have an environment, all of us do, where we can fully express ourselves, our greatest you know, aspects of ourselves we're really proud of, and our biggest shortcomings, our biggest insecurities. Can I say all that out loud and I don't die? And can I say it all out loud and people look at me and say, hey man, we already, I mean, <laughs> I joke all the time. Once I, I usually say like, when a leader makes a confession, they're the last one to the party. Yeah. I heard you say, you said it in a different way. You said, when I have a self-realization, I'm the last one to a party. Right on. <laughs> yeah. For me. Yeah. True for me too. Well, that's, the, that's what I loved about it. I was like, oh, that is brilliant because that's universal. I feel like. I think it's true, man. So it's like, if, if a guy's like really trying hard to keep up his image, Everybody else knows that, that they're fill in the blank, not good at finance or not good at strategy or, or, or conflict avoidant. And when they finally say, hey, man, I think I'm conflict avoidant, they say it like shamefully. And I'm like, no, everybody's dying for you to own this, man. Of course. But it, like if you don't own it, there's no possibility in it. But as soon as you own it, as soon as I say like, oh, hey, I'm conflict avoidant. As soon as I say that, all of a sudden I'm not conflict avoidant. Because I've actually started, I've started the path. I'm out of denial and I've started the path. I mean, the next thing was, okay, do I want to do what it takes to find ways to, you know, engage conflict in a way that generates possibility and connection on my team? Yes. That sounds like French. Okay, good. I know. You haven't thought about it before. I know it's possible. I know I teach people, I do this stuff all the time. So 
it's possible. Is that if you could find out how to do that, would you want to do it? Yes. Okay, good. All right, great. Now we're in a whole different conversation. Now we're in a growth conversation. Talk about relentless growth. Now we're in a growth conversation. And I've actually taken on enough humility that gives me a shot to actually get what I want instead of to keep padding the walls of my prison with my complaints. You know, so these are conversations, I think, to your question. We're scared to death to be transparent, but we're dying to be. So my work with them is usually I'm confessional enough in my work with them. Like I'll tell my own stuff in order to let them know, hey, the water's fine. Come on in. There, There is something so cathartic about being willing to go first and show them how to do that. Yeah. Give them permission to to say, oh, yeah, this was really, really tough for me. And here's how I navigated that. And yep. the whole team looks at you like you're growing antlers because you're sharing something real for the first time. And it's, right <laughs> it's like drawing out poison or something. Yep. Well, I, I want to honor your time because I told you I'd let you go here. This and, was way too fast, man. You know, these great conversations tend to be like that. And I, I do want to honor your time. So let me see if I can get squeeze two more in here. One of the one of my audience's favorite parts of an interview is when somebody recommends the resources that have helped transform them. Most of the time that comes out in the form of books or other podcasts. But I'm curious at this part in your, we can call it your growth journey, or at least your your current evolution what are you gifting the most because it meant something to you or, or what are you consuming two and three times over because it's been meaningful to you? That's a long list. So, you know, there are plenty of books that I send to clients or recommend for clients to read and plenty of thought leaders, you know, so I'll, I'll give a couple of those, for example, but I'll, I'll point to the last answer here uh, in just a second. But, you know, I, there's a, you know, there's a handful of kind of biblical text, if you will, for people in my world. One's called the Three Laws of Performance that comes out of that human poten- potential movement. I've sent the the book, The Courage to Be Disliked, to dozens and dozens of people. All my clients read it. Those two come to mind first. There's like a dozen other books that I've no, that's perfect, though. talked about. You know, thanks for the feedback. Anyway, it depends very contextually about what somebody's up against. I'm a Jordan Peterson fanatic. Yeah, I think his his especially coming from a therapeutic mind, he's he's doesn't adopt the therapeutic Freudian curse that that most psychologists he's he's more Jungian and more Adlerian, which is our camp, my camp anyway. Right. Future like and just the the one minute on that, you know, Freud said we are our history, which is an etiological view, they call it. Like I am because and you look backwards. And that's why, you know, I go to the therapist's office they're going to say, great, let's start at the beginning. Or, you know, so that we don't take any responsibility. It's that happened, so therefore I am. So it, there's there's a curse to it, I say. Not that it always has to be that way. I'm, of course, you know, and there can be really great helpful just un, maybe unspooling some of these old beliefs that I've got because of what happened when I was eight. But I'm the believer. What happened when I was eight means nothing unless I decide it means something. Exactly. And you can change that. Like you said, if you're taking radical responsibility, you can change that in any moment. And that's something that I do like about Peterson's work is that he's he's confrontational to himself first. Right on. And a friend of mine, Alex Judd, just, uh, he's in Nashville, actually, just uh, posted today a picture of him. And he's like, I wish I could have had time to ask him all these questions. And all we had time was for the photo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As far as resources, um, anyway, that the courage to be disliked, by the way, is like an Adlerian, which is a teleological view. I am my purpose. So if you haven't read that book, listen to it. It's easy. And it's a great primer for some of at least the framework behind 
some of the convictions we coach through. But what's the biggest resource? So before I got into coaching, I went through a training put on by my then employee named Dan Takini, this thing that was then called Breakthrough. Now it's called The Revenant Process. Four-day deep dive leadership, personal leadership, personal impact training. It's the boot camp for the soul. It's most high, fast-moving, brilliant leaders um, need something different than most other people need. And that's something that will arrest their momentum just for, just for some kind of moment in time because they're really talented. And really talented people are, get, get sloppy because they can be sloppy. Are they really – I tell all my clients, usually when I'm in an initial conversation with them, I usually you know, say to them, hey, I know your secret. And they get really nervous. And I'll say at least one of your secrets – I'm sure there are many – but one of your secrets is – that you sometimes operate at a six out of 10 and nobody notices. And they know it, right? All fast moving people know it. That if you're talented, you're charismatic, you're helpful, you're smart, all that stuff, you know it, you get away with shit. And there's despair that happens in the four clicks between six and 10. That's what most talented people are haunted by, is by what's possible and what they could be doing. So my, what changed me was really this kind of deep dive, hyper experiential training, leadership training program now that we run. So this is a bit of a commercial, but you know, if you, there's others out there, you can go to find, find one that works for you. Well, point it toward yours. I mean, you, you've got the floor, so tell them how to get it. <laughs> yeah. Well, we, so we, we do these, we'll, we'll do, we'll do one a quarter this year and we call it the revenant process, the comeback. So, and you come back from anything. You come back from out of COVID now. You can come back out of selling a big company. You can come back out of trying to like trying to come back from like your marriage that's on the brink. You can come back from your own personal heartache, whatever the comeback is. So it's really we follow the the hero's journey in that context. But uh, you can see more about it, and it's four days. It's it is not. It's for people that are desperate for something new, and not like you have to come in into a desperate state. Something new could just be, wow, like what could be unprecedented that I've not, like I've got what everybody else has and I'm still undersatisfied. Is this mainly for founders and CEOs or business owners in general? This uh, is, this anybody can come to this. We do these public trainings, so anybody can come to it. We naturally have a lot of our clients come through it, um, but anybody can come. And so, you know, you can learn about that at wearerevenant.com. Wearerevenant.com. We've got one coming up in Austin, Texas, end of February. So that, that changed my, when I went through it for myself, I had a personal revelation in the midst of it where I'd just been living. It's weird how this stuff happens. Revelations happen in a moment, I think, for most people, for me. Somebody gave me some feedback in that training, and, and he said, hey, you're a good soldier. And I literally wept. And it sounds so weird. Like, why in the hell would I, would I cry? Because I'd realized up until then, I'd been living my life, doing the best I could, pouring myself out, trying to be the best soldier possible. And hadn't heard that or whatever, something. And it's some kind of weird, and that broke things open for me. And I'd been kind of the best student, the best everything up until that point. It started a really creative leadership journey for me after that point, really owning who I could be instead of what's the best number two I could be. I think it is the it's the simplicity of those moments though that really cracks people open. Like I, we don't have time to bring up your it might not get better, but I'm going to get better. Yeah. We'll have to have you back on at some point to tell that story. But the, the shorter 
the like the less language there is, the more em- emphatic and and deep bone cracking like meaning can be behind it. I feel like that's right. That's right. Because it's the place. You know, it gets past the intellect. It gets past even maybe the heart. It gets to some kind of soul conversation. You know, what, what do I really need to hear? You know, what what am I dying to hear? Anyway, so the Revenant, I mean, what changed me was going through the Revenant process back 12 years ago. Actually led me into this work because I thought, holy shit, if we could do this with people, especially in like the very high intensity business environment. That's why like our work with clientele is not boxed up at all. It's very bespoke. It's very, you know, contextual. And it's very much more personal than anybody wants to be. Even me, I'd love to just go teach shit. That's fun. <laughs> you know, and I could be the expert and you guys could sit and take notes and then go not do any of it. Or it's like, we're going to get to the real deal conversations and I'm going to be transformed. You know, we have a saying in our work, like nobody survives a great conversation. We're all transformed. Oh, I like that. And that's what we're always aiming at. And that takes guts to do it. And I am always scared to death just because, you know, I could either play it safe or I could go all in. And that's what I love about this work is like I'm called to go all in. If I'm if I'm living out my vision, I am. Absolutely. Back to, the, back to the we'll see, you know, if I'm going to show up and be fully myself today or if I'm just going to be a socially acceptable version of Adrian. Well, and I'm just curious, at what point do you graduate from soldier to general? Because it seems like you've got teams out on the field making yeah. it happen. Yeah. Yeah, that's been the, um, I mean, a lot of our work is with leaders that are looking to to move from being the best to being somebody that generates the best results through others. And that's a very different framework, you know, management, I mean, you know, executor versus, I mean, we, we come against this with, with all of our clients, you know, even I've got a guy named Josh Geigel who started Virgin Hyperloop, smartest guy in the room, built the engine for SpaceX. The one that goes in reverse, that was him. No kidding? Really? Yeah. And then he started Hyperloop. But it's hard, you know, being the smartest guy in the room doesn't get it done. It just doesn't get it done. Getting results through other people is just an art. It is a leadership challenge. It is a type of suffering that most people will not ever have to understand. But, you know, it's that type of that type of art is a process that you need somebody, you know, our honor is to get is to I'm the I'm the whisperer in this guy's ear to helping him see, help him take on something new, help him take on some challenge, take on himself in a new way and have all the conversations he'd rather not have to have. But the calling requires it. Mm-hmm. So anyway, any things that can really get us connected to where our machinery, i.e. our thinking comes from is the deepest transforming. And a book usually won't get us there in my experience. An experience will get us there. Right. Right. Some kind of implementation. Right on. Somewhere I can see myself in real time and then get really curious, especially in the context of community. So like any kind of group experience that's honest and participatory instead of kind of audience focused, where we can actually have real real time feedback from people that don't have any dog in the fight except for to stand for you. So anyway, that's one of the, that's, that's my real answer for the biggest transformational uh, thing is that type of experience. You guys can check out our training if you're interested or have a conversation about what we do more specifically in, in leadership teams. It's a uh, revenant's the deepest dive we go. And then we have very robust conversations with leadership teams, having the conversations they're dying to have, but are scared to have. We set the context up for that. And there's usually very uh, breathtaking results on the back end. 
Well, we'll certainly put links in the show notes. So everybody listening, you should be able to just, you know, scroll down to the bottom of this episode and click on that and learn more or go on and sign up for the experience because it sounds, I mean, you're, you're hearing in real time how Adrian thinks and how they put these things together with your outcomes in mind. And I don't get paid to say that. <laughs> I just know a damn good coach when I hear one. <laughs> Thanks, well, I'm going to honor your time. So let me just say this. Thank you so much for this. I have, um, I have two pages crammed with notes and one-liners that you dropped that I don't think you were even aware of. So thank you for those, including one you didn't say, but I heard you on another episode of a podcast say, you don't let your kids say, daddy's got to go to work. They say, daddy's got to go coach more leaders or help more people. Yeah. And I think that is phenomenal. We're, we're due in March with our first uh, baby girl. Amazing. Amazing. Congratulations, man. Thank you. Thank you. But thinking about talk about the crucible, you're about to be undone on all, on all these beautiful ways. Yeah, that's right. And I'm in for it now. Right. Uh, What a gift to, um, to be able to teach her to say, you know, her parents don't have to go to work. They got to go help more people. So yeah, Uh, I just, I want, I'll do a second on that. It's like, it competes, right? Like, you know, you've got, you life is necessarily complex and the kids get it that that there's that dad or mom or whomever is somewhere else instead of with them. And so you got to generate the meaning for them. So they know what to do about that. And I want my kids to get that. They're not the center of my universe. I want them to feel like they are like when I'm with them, I want them to feel like, Oh shit, nothing else matters. My dad's really present with me, but he's also committed to being present with other people and, and caring for other dads and moms so they can be great moms and dads. So I want them to get that. So like they send me off. Like whenever I'm doing a training, I usually FaceTime with them and, and show them the room and let them know. And, oh, here are my friends. Oh, look, here are my friends are coming in. Look at these guys. They're here. You know what they do? They build homes. You know what they do? They build rockets. You know what they do? They, isn't that cool? You know? And so they get it. It's like, oh, shit, dad's out. Wow, this is Indiana Jones. This is my dad. <laughs> you know? So anyway, that, that's the purpose to that. And it also eases my guilt. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because of course, you know, I've chosen to have a very full life and I'd love, to, you know, anyway, there's a whole bunch of, com- we talk about dadhood. I, you know, I don't want to leave without also saying if, if additional resources, you know, we have a podcast as well called the Naked Leadership Podcast, where we really explore the intricacies and the complexity of what it's like to be a leader on the front lines, i.e. naked leadership, <laughs> that kind of vulnerability. So if people want to hear more about what we're up to, you get to hear Dan, who's really the smart one on the team. Uh, check that out. That's everywhere you listen to podcasts, Naked Leadership Podcast. Perfect. We'll put a, a link in the show notes so it's just easy Thanks, for them man. to get to. So, man, thank you so much for the time, the wisdom, the the one-liners that uh, I will credit you when I say them on future podcasts to guests. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. You don't have to. You take it, man. I stole them from somebody else anyway, I'm sure. Fair enough, right? There, there's some uh, personal growth junkie in the 70s rolling over in his grave, right? That's <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Werner. Yeah. Man, thank you so much. And for everybody listening, uh, if you got something from this podcast, please share it with your friends and make sure Adrian um, is out there in the world having his voice heard and changing lives. And as he said, being a redemptive force. Thanks again, Adrian. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Chris, for being on here. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks for listening to this episode of Relentless Growth. If you're ready to improve your own life and business with passion, purpose, and relentless growth, go to goodmancoachinginc.com where you can learn more and sign up for coaching right now.